0: This morning, it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker. I have known this man all of my life because he's my older brother. Okay, so I'm sure he could tell you some stories about me, but I've asked him not to do that, but um, my brother Michael is an executive pastor at a church at a church in Fort Worth, and um, he's been in ministry I think around 20 years now and been in various positions and served in different churches, and I love him. He is a great man of God, a great speaker, so please put your hands together and welcome Michael Escamilla to the stage. Yay. Well, I am obviously very biased um, to Aaron and Sarah and their incredible family and their kids. Um, We love them so much, and I kind of want to flip the table a little bit. Can you guys give a hand to Pastor Aaron and Sarah and their family? You guys are really incredibly blessed to have them here, and so... Uh, it is an honor and a privilege for me to be able to be here to share with you this morning here at the end of the year, and I have shared here in the past, but it's been a while, um, and so my wife, she's actually couldn't make it this morning because we have, I don't know if any of you have had this flu blood kind of thing going around, um, but our, other, our kids, um, our two oldest are sick at home with that. And then um, my youngest, she just got sick in the back. So anyway, so just pray for us. And as we're going through this season, thankfully, they don't have school next week. Um, But this morning, um, I wanted to share a quick story. And this really isn't on Aaron, but uh, it's on me. But I did bring a picture. So they're going to show a picture. This is Aaron and I when we were little. Um, Yes. Oh, and I'm the more handsome one on the right. Uh, But anyway, so that's us, and when we were little, we would go out to um, this family. Their names were the Parkers, and it was E.D. and Earlene, and E.D. and Earlene were kind of like our adopted grandparents, and we would go out there, and E.D. owned cattle, so we would go and help him feed the cows. We would go down fishing by the creek. Um, And we would go and play in the hay barn uh, on many occasions. Well, one day we were there, and I ran in the house, and I saw a giant pitcher of red Kool-Aid um, sitting up on the counter. But I was too small and too young to pour myself a glass of Kool-Aid. So what I did, like any other kid probably would do, I pushed a chair over to the counter and I started dipping my hand in my arm into the pitcher of Kool-Aid and bringing it to my mouth like you do, okay? No one else has ever done that. That's just me. But that's what I did, okay? And erlene comes in and she sees me and she's like, Michael James! And she does not hesitate and she spanks my bottom, all right, and I was literally caught red-handed, okay, and so I think I was more probably a little bit shocked than I was in pain, but I jumped off of the chair and I ran to a closet and I hid from Erlene. but it was that kind of moment where I'm sure somewhere in some part of your life you've experienced this, and it's busted, right? I I don't know if you've ever experienced that or ever felt that before, but in that moment where you feel like, I just got busted, I feel, and and I brought a board here with me this morning, the staff has helped me with this, and and this is the word that I want us to look at this morning, and it's just simply this, guilt. Aren't you guys so excited that you came to church this morning to talk about (laughs) guilt, especially the way we've been eating? Well, for me, it hasn't been since... This past week has probably been more like since October, but, but guilt, isn't it true? We've all experienced guilt before, and I won't make you raise your hand, but, but this word guilt, it's really kind of a homonym, isn't it? Be, because there, there's two forms of guilt. The first form of guilt is this, being guilty, right? And, and maybe when you think of the word being guilty, you, you might just think of this, law. Maybe you think of, of court, Maybe you think of a judge or a jury. They're the ones who decide whether you're guilty or not. Maybe when you think of being guilty, you just think of this. Let me write this here. Speed limit. 50 I mean, does really anyone in the Dallas Metroplex go 55? I, I'm not sure. But, but maybe, maybe when you think of being guilty, you think of, of law, uh, whether, you, whether you are or you aren't. It, it's, it's someone else who makes that decision whether you're guilty or not. But you know what? There's something worse than being guilty. It, it's this right here feeling guilty. Isn't it true? I mean, is there anything worse than feeling guilt? I don't know about you, but, but there's been several times in my life where those red and blue lights have come on behind me, and I'm, I'm not talking about the ice cream man. I'm talking about the law enforcement, and I'm so thankful for the men and women who put on the uniform every week and literally, yeah, we can clap for them. They put their lives on the line for us. I'm so thankful for those men and women who do that. But every time those blue and red lights come on behind me, you know what I first what, the very first thought that comes into my mind. I've gotta hide my drugs, I gotta hide my guns. <laughs> that's the very first thought in that song comes into my mind. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna? You guys remember that? Okay, just me? Okay, anyway, but that's what I, I feel guilty and and I'll catch my breath, I'll pull over to the side of the road. I'll pick up my heart from the bottom of my feet and'll and, and, and everything will be okay, but, but I'm like, why did I feel so guilty? Be, because isn't it true? When, there, there's a cousin to, to feeling guilty. It, it's this right here. Shame. Isn't it true that when we feel guilt, we, we feel shame? Maybe it's embarrassment. Maybe you, you thought, you know what, I didn't think this would keep happening to me over and over again. I thought I was past this. I, I thought that I was beyond this. I thought that I was further along in my journey with Christ, and I, I didn't think I would keep feeling this or, or this. Isolation. Isn't it true? I mean, think about it for a moment. What do you do with the people in your life who make you feel guilty? Don't you avoid them? Don't you isolate yourself? I mean, think about it. When the boss comes into your office and says, hey, we, we need to sit down and talk for a moment. I don't know what you feel. I, I know what I feel. I, I log into my LinkedIn account and I'm like, okay, what's a good job for a former pastor? I, I wonder if there's any good on-ramps, right? We feel guilty. Or, or maybe your teacher says, hey, we need to talk after class. Or, or maybe your spouse tells you, they, they send you a text and say, hey, we need to talk after dinner tonight. But that, that might be a bad example because you probably really did do something wrong there. But, <laughs> but regardless, isn't it true? We, when we feel guilty, we feel shame. We isolate ourselves. Or, or one more, and this kind of goes along with isolation. It's just simply this, hiding. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Whenever Erlene spanked my bottom and, and I jumped off the chair, I went and hid in that closet because I kind of put my head in the sand hoping... That maybe this was just a bad dream, hoping that maybe this was just a bad spring break, hoping that maybe this really didn't just happen to me again. And we hide, we, we bury our heads in the sand, hoping that maybe all of our problems will go away, maybe all of our guilt will go away if we just ignore it for long enough. But, but the truth of the matter is, if you fall asleep or if you start counting the lights in the ceiling, the, the truth of the matter is, is just simply this, that, that you can be guilty and not feel guilty. And you can feel guilty and actually not be guilty. But really, there is a way through our guilt. And and that's what I want us to talk about this morning. That's, That's what I want us to look at. Because maybe this is your first time in a long time back to church. Or maybe your family member or someone brought you here this morning and, and you would say to me, you know what, Michael, I, I, I believe in God. Do I have a relationship with God? No, not really. Because every time I come to church or every time I'm around people who associate themselves with Jesus or with God, I feel, I feel guilty. And so I, I've given God in me some distance because of the guilt that I'm feeling. But really, there is a way through our guilt. And, and, and there's a guy in the Bible. Many of you probably know his story. He was the second king of Israel. Does anyone know who I'm going to talk about? King David. That's right. King David. David was the second king of Israel. And whenever I say the name David, who do we always associate with David? David and Goliath, right, David and Goliath, that's awesome. And I would love to talk about David and Goliath this morning, killing the giants in our lives, but we're not going to talk about David and Goliath. We're going to talk about David and Bathsheba, right, David and Bathsheba. Aren't you glad you came to church today to talk about David and Bathsheba? And Bathsheba, she's an interesting woman in the history of Israel. She's this incredibly beautiful woman. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're introduced to Bathsheba. She's this beautiful woman, and David, he's supposed to be somewhere. He's actually supposed to be off at war with Joab, his commander, and with his mighty men, but David's not at war. He's at home. He's, he's, he's at home chilling in his silk robe, no doubt. He just had a steak dinner with some broccoli and, and some mashed potatoes, maybe for dessert. He had some tiramisu on the side, but he's just chilling. David is loving life, and he walks out on his patio. He walks out on his rooftop and what does he see? He sees Bathsheba taking a bath. I mean, you can't make this up, Bathsheba taking a bath. Her, her name in the Hebrew actually means woman who takes a bath. No, I made that up, but not, not really. It does not mean that, okay? Don't go home and Google that. That's not what that means. But, but Bathsheba, she's taking a bath, and David sees her, and he's like, man, this girl is beautiful. I mean, he's like, swipe right, tap twice. I mean, he's like, man, this girl, she is fine. And so he sends his servants to go and to talk and to find out who she is. And I think his servants, they're trying to splash some water on David. They're trying to slap his face a little bit because they say, David, this is Elahim's daughter. David, this is someone else's daughter. This is their little girl. David, This is Uriah's wife, one of your mighty men that is off in battle right now. This is his wife. But David's not listening. He's not paying attention. He's so caught up in the moment. He's so caught up in his lust that he says, bring her to me. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long they talk to one another. We don't know if they DM'd each other for a while, if they Snapchatted. We're not sure how long, excuse me, David and Bathsheba talk. But what we do know is this, that they eventually sleep together. And David just thinks this is a hookup. David just thinks this is a one-night stand. But a couple of weeks later, Bathsheba texts him. And she says, David, I went to Walgreens and CVS. And I got multiple pregnancy tests. David, I'm pregnant, dot, 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 right? And David, he's kind of going into panic mode a little bit. And all this time that I've been studying this, you know what? There's been a song that's kind of been replaying in the back of my mind and I know most of you haven't listened to this album, but it's Usher, his his Confessions album from 2004. I know all of you are holier than me, so you probably never listened to that. But Usher, that first song on that Confessions album is Yeah, which is a straight party hit. That's where Ludacris calls Usher Ursher for the first time. It's really crazy. But then you get down to song number three, and it's called Confessions. And Confessions is where Usher says, hey, I've got my girl that I'm with and I'm being faithful to her, but then I've got this kind of this girl over here on the side that I've been messing around with. But then in Confessions 2 is where it gets real because in Confessions 2, is said, that's where Usher says, oh yeah, and this girl that I've been creeping with, she's three months pregnant and she's keeping it. And then that's when he goes down into the chorus. Just when I thought I said all I could say, my chick on the side says she got... Oh, you know it. You know it so good. She's got one on the way. But that's what David's feeling. His chick on the sides got one on the way and David is in panic mode. And so he sends a message to Joab and he says, Joab, bring Uriah, send Uriah to me, send him to my palace so I can get a war update. I want to know how things are going out on the battlefield. So Uriah comes and he shares with David what's going on. And David says, hey, Uriah, go home, wash your feet, take a bath, enjoy your wife. Because David's somehow thinking that maybe if Uriah and Bathsheba sleep together, that this will somehow cover up the mess that he's made. But we're we're given a glimpse into Uriah's character. Because Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah goes out by the gates and sleeps on the ground with David's servants. And David hears about it. And he says, Uriah, why, why didn't you go home? And Uriah says, King, how in the world could I go home? And enjoy my wife when the armies of the God of Israel are sleeping out in the field. And David, how could I go home when the Ark of the Covenant, this this representation of the presence of God is out in the field under a tent? How could I go home in my right mind and enjoy a night with my wife? So David, again, he's scrambling. He said, hey, we'll stay one more night. Come over, have dinner. David fixes him this incredible dinner. He gives him three glasses of wine, four glasses, seven glasses of wine. He's hoping to get Uriah plastered so maybe in his drunken state, he'll go back home to his wife, but he doesn't. Uriah goes back out, and he sleeps on the floor. He sleeps on the ground. So that night, David, he he writes a note, and he says, Joab, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the battle lines. And whenever the fighting is the fierce, I want you to have all of the soldiers pull away. And I want Uriah to fall by the sword. And he rolls it up and he seals it with his signet ring and he hands it to Uriah. And Uriah is carrying his death sentence. And he gives it to Joab and Joab rolls it out. He reads it and he looks And he says, Uriah, go to the front lines. And that day, Uriah is killed on the battlefield. And David, a man after God's own heart, has committed adultery. And now he's covered it up with murder. And David, this king, he makes it even more like he's in the right After Bathsheba mourns for several weeks for her husband, he brings her into the palace and everyone in Israel is thinking this, wow, look at our awesome King David. He's taken one of the fallen soldier's wives into his palace to take care of her. Look how awesome our king is. And for about a year, David gets away with it. And then Nathan the prophet has the horrific job of coming and confronting David on his sin. And he says, David, can I share with you a story? And David says, I love stories, Nathan. Maybe I'll turn it into a psalm. What do you got for me? And he says, okay, well, David, one, one day there was this rich man and he had camels and donkeys and sheep and goats and, and herds. He, he had an incredible amount of wealth. And living on his land was this poor lamb. Well, well David says, what did the poor man have, Nathan? Well, <laughs> David, he didn't have a lot because he was poor, but he did have one little you lamb. And, and this lamb was like it was part of the family. It would eat from the master's table. It would sleep in the master's arm. It, it was loved by the entire family. Everyone in the family loved it. Well, one day the rich man has a guest and it's customary for you to fix a meal whenever a guest comes. And David says, what do you think he's going to fix for him, Nathan? And Nathan says, he's going to make lamb chops. And David's like, love the lamb chops. Every time a guest comes in, I always order the lamb chops. And Nathan says, well, not so good for the lamb because the rich man didn't take one of his hundreds of lambs. He he actually went to the poor man's house and he took his one little ewe lamb. And David, this former shepherd in a flare of drama, stands up, flips over the table, throws his chair back. And he says, this man must surely die. And Nathan looks back at David and he says, David, you're the man. And I don't mean high five, you're the man, David. I mean, you're the one who's done this. David, God took you from the pastures to the palace. He's giving you victory over all of your enemies, David, He's given you wives. He's given you children. He's blessed you with wealth beyond anything you could ever imagine. And David, if that wasn't enough, he would have given you so much more. So David, why did you think it was okay for you to take Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and sleep with her? And David, why did you think no one would find out what you had done when you had her husband, Uriah, killed? in church this is why i love 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 the bible this is why i tell people all the time read your bible it is so amazing in psalm 51 we're given a glimpse into david's journal when he's feeling his guilt when he's feeling his shame, when he's feeling isolation, when he's trying to hide. In Psalm 51, listen to what David writes, and you can turn there in your Bibles. There's a Bible in front of you. Listen to what David says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, He's saying, God, have mercy on me, not because of what I've done, not because I've prayed enough, not because I've lit enough candles, not because I've read my Bible enough, not because I've given enough money to the church, not because I volunteer or serve enough. God, don't have mercy on me because of me. God, would you have mercy on me according to your covenant-keeping, unfailing love? And then listen to the ownership that David says. He says, blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. David's not blaming someone else. He's not saying, hey, this is Bathsheba's fault. She should have had a curtain or something. David's not saying, hey, this is Uriah's fault. This is my servant's fault. David is taking this. He's taking ownership of his sin. He's saying, God, this is on me. This isn't on anyone else. God, this is on me. And listen to what he says here. He he goes on and he says, for I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. But David, (laughs) David, for a year, it looked like you were in the clear. No, I wasn't. David, David, for a year, it looked like you were free. No, I, I wasn't free. It actually had me locked up inside, and I was locked up because of my sin. And he goes on to say this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, to which I'm sure if Uriah could have come and knocked on the door and said, "Uh, David, you sinned against me, remember? You didn't just sin against God, you sinned against me, and David knows that. I tell my kids this all the time. Hey, your sin has incredible consequences. It doesn't ever just affect you. It affects you and the people around you. And David knows that. But David also understands this. God, I broke your command. God, and if you've fallen asleep, if, if, if you're not paying attention, just lean in for one second. Listen to this. David is saying this. God, you define what is right and what is wrong. Not me. Not my therapist, not the government, not society. They don't define what's right and wrong. God, you define what is right and wrong. And God, I know there's some awkward conversations that are gonna have to be had. I know I'm gonna have to go and ask from people for forgiveness that I've hurt, that I've deceived, that I've sinned against. I know all of that is true, but God, before I go to them, I need to come to you and say, God, it's against you and you alone that I've sinned because I've broken your standard. And listen to this. Come on, you know this. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you don't believe in the Bible, even if you don't believe in God, you know this is true. We can't even keep our own standard, can we? I mean, how are your, your New Year's resolutions for 2018 going? I mean, I hope you lost all the weight that you wanted. I hope you read all the books that you wanted to read. I hope you finally learned Spanish. Me, no habla Espanol, okay? Even though my last name's Escamilla, I still don't speak Spanish. My brother speaks Spanish, my parents speak Spanish, and I still don't. But isn't it true? You don't even hold up your own standards. You can't even keep your own standards, can you? Let alone God's standard. Again, even if you don't believe in God, you know that that's true. And David says, God, against you have I sinned, and you alone. And he goes on to those famous verses, and I love this. He says this, create in me a pure heart, O God. This isn't about behavior modification, This isn't about me promising, God, I promise I'm going to do better next time. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go to that website. I'm not going to text her back. God, I'm not going to go there again. I know that that's just going to leave. I promise, God, I promise I'm never going to. David says, this isn't about behavior modification. This isn't about me trying harder. This is about, God, you have to change something inside of me. You have to do a work inside of my heart because, God, if you don't change me, I'm just going to go back to the same old Michael that I used to be. And David says, you've got to do a transformation inside. We've got to start from the inside out. So many times we want to make the outside look good, but God says, no, I've got to go beyond the outside. I have to begin to do something inside of you to change your heart and to change your mind. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, in me a new heart. And what I love is this David, in a few chapters earlier in Psalm 32, he says this, he, he reveals to us what happened when he tried to console, when he tried to hide his sin, when he tried to cover it up. He said, it was like my bones were wasting away inside of me. And some of you, maybe that are in this room this morning, you know what it's like you know what it's like to try to hide your guilt. You know what it's like to try to hide your shame. And you've isolated yourself. And, and you, you've hidden it from your spouse. You've hidden it from your boss. You've hidden it from your parents. You've hidden it from everyone else. But David knows, God, I can't hide from you. I can't hide from you. I, I can't try to deceive you, God. I can try to cover everything up. And David said, it was like I was dying in side. But listen to what he goes on to say in chapter 32. He says this. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then, God, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Can can I tell you something the bottom line here this morning? the way to rid yourself of guilt if you walked in here this morning and you're feeling guilty you know how you can rid yourself of guilt admit you're guilty the way to rid yourself of your guilt is to admit your guilt and i don't know if they use this term anymore has anyone in here ever been admitted to the hospital anybody in here ever been admitted you know what you're saying when you when you're admitted into the hospital you're saying this i'm sick There's something wrong with me and I can't figure it out and I can't fix it with ibuprofen or Tylenol. I need someone else greater and smarter than me to help me get better. See, when you admit your help, when you admit your sin to God, you receive help from God. Until you're willing to admit your guilt to God, you'll never receive help from God. And there's some of you in here this morning, and maybe you've tried to cover up your guilt. Maybe you've tried to cover it up, or maybe there's some of you, and you've just tried to ignore it. You're saying, you know what? I don't like feeling guilty. I don't want to feel guilty, so I'm just going to ignore my guilt. And then there's some of you that maybe you've dealt with your guilt. You've done what David did, and you've confessed it, and you said, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your help. But you keep allowing that guilt to come up over and over and over again. And maybe part of the reason that you keep feeling guilty and that it feels like you can't get past your guilt is because there's people like me and there's people within the church who maybe are looking down at you and looking at your guilt. Have you ever heard someone's testimony before? And you're like, man, I knew you were bad, but I didn't know you were that bad. I don't know if it's just me or or if you've ever felt that before. I I hear someone else's story and I'm like, man, you needed a lot of God's grace, didn't you? And and so many times we're like the older brother in the prodigal son story. Do you guys remember the prodigal son? The the Bible tells us this, that when the older brother was still far away, he could hear the music. People are getting down if you can hear the music from far away. And the older brother's standing out there like this. And he says, dad, do you know how bad he messed up? Do you know how many women he slept with? Dad, do you know how much money he spent? Dad, do you know what he did? We need to write a big scarlet letter, the A letter on him, because dad, do you know how bad he messed up? And can I tell you something? If your tendency as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to lean towards the older brother, You have the older brother syndrome. Can I tell you what you need to do? When you hear the music, you need to find the beat like this. Just find the beat. Find the beat because the younger brother, the younger sister is dancing at the party. You need to start dancing. And if this is the only dance move you can do, just do it like this, right? When Hitch said, I want you to stay right here. Just play it right here. Don't move. Don't do any of that other crazy stuff. Just stay right here. You just need to find the beat. And start dancing. You know why? Because one day you're gonna need the same grace that the younger brother and the younger sister need. And I think the father is loving enough and is merciful enough to show you the same grace that he shows to the younger brother and the younger sister. And the last one is just simply this, that maybe there's some of you in here and your guilt is dealing with you and what I mean by that is this that, that you've got busy at work, you're working 60, over 60 hours a week. You, you distract yourself on your phone. Maybe you distract yourself with more classes at school, with more extra activities, because you don't want to have to come face to face with your guilt. Or, or maybe, God forbid, you every time you feel guilty, you go to the bottle. Or you pick up those pills. Because it numbs the pain of your guilt. And what David would tell us, what the scriptures would tell us is this, that you don't have to live in guilt any longer. You don't have to live in guilt any longer. That there is a way out of your guilt. And I want to ask the worship team to come back because they're going to lead us or they're going to sing this song for us, this last song, And it just simply says this, come out of hiding. You're safe here with me. You know what? We've been hiding all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Do you guys remember Adam and Eve? They they put on those fig leaves. They thought they were Gucci, right? They said, you know what? We look good. We're going to hide our nakedness. We're going to hide our shame. We're going to hide our guilt. And we've all been trying to hide ever since, since the Garden of Eden, every single one of us, when we feel guilt. And and this song just reminds us, hey, you don't have to hide. I already know your guilt. I already know your shame. I already know how you messed up. And I still love you. Can I tell you something this morning? You need God's grace. I need God's grace. None of us, None of us are above God's grace. And what Jesus reminds us of is this, I took your guilt. I took your shame. On the cross, Jesus took it all for us. We don't have to try to figure it out on our own. We don't have to try to heal ourselves. We don't have to try to cover up our guilt any longer. Jesus says, I took your shame. I took your isolation. I took your guilt to the cross and I nailed it there. So you don't have to live in guilt any longer. You guys might know this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to walk around like you're condemned anymore. You don't have to walk around like you're guilty anymore. You can walk around with your hand, your head held high knowing you are forgiven. You're forgiven. You're a trophy of God's grace. It's, it's been called amazing grace. Scandalous grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in hiding anymore. You can come out. His grace will cover over all of your guilt.